another awesome life hack video. Thank you so much. Why life hacks? Because life hacks, and we're going to be doing this every week, life hacks are this small adjustment, this minor thing that we can do that improves our life. And we're in a series called Your Slightly Improved Life. And the reason why is, is life transformation experts tell us that problems, even the biggest problems, can you imagine this? This is such good news. Even really big problems in our life, most of the time can be small solved by minor, minor little adjustments that we need to make, which is so cool. So we're calling this Your Slightly Improved Life. Just look for a small adjustment leads to an impressive improvement. Okay. I love the quote that Pastor Neil shared at the beginning of the service. I love it so much. I actually want to share it again by W. Edwards Deming. This is what it says. It is not enough to do your best. You must first know. That's the important point. You must first know what to do, which is what we're going to talk about today. What to do. Then do your best. I think that is so great. You've maybe heard this before. Maybe you've said this before. Somebody's like, I've got this big thing coming up at work. And you're like, hey, it's okay. Just do your best. It's going to be okay. Just do your best. I mean, I think to myself, all right, well, what if I'm doing my best, but in the total wrong direction? What if like I'm swimming my heart out towards Niagara Falls instead of away from Niagara Falls? I've got to know what to do. And then I do my best once I figured out what to do. Our middle school uh, youth pastor, Ben Darius, shared with me a really good story that kind of drives this point home. He got reconnected with some family friends uh, not too long ago, and he was talking to the father. The father has has a daughter, and the father said the daughter had been recently diagnosed with celiac disease. Now, celiac disease, when you eat gluten, it like poisons your intestines, and it causes you to have headaches. It causes you to have joint pain. You feel tired. You feel anxious. There's a, like a myriad of things that you experience when you're eating gluten and you have celiac. And the father started crying. He's like, for years, we've been poisoning our daughter. And every parent wants to do their best for their child. And he wanted to do his best. But his best wasn't good enough because he didn't know what to do. But once that was diagnosed, he knew, stop the gluten. I've got to stop the flow of gluten into my daughter so that she can be healthy. Here's the thing. There are not that many people in America that have celiac. It's like one out of 140, but the vast majority don't know they have celiac. They don't know to stop the gluten. What is it that you and I need to stop the flow of into our lives so that our lives can be healthy, can be everything that God created us to be so we could feel full and free and content? All right, that's what we're talking about, what to do. So we're picking up the story, John chapter 6. Here's what it says. John chapter 6, verse number 16, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake of Capernaum, which is the Sea of Galilee. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, The width of the lake is about seven miles across, so they're halfway across. When they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. And here's the thing, walking on the water. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then he says this, and this is really important. 
Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Now, let me say a few things about this. I, I can't break down all the significance about the walking on the water, so I'm going to hit it from just a high level because we're going to really kind of focus in on, on what this most important habit that we need to adopt. It's above everything else. Okay, so first of all, here's my first hang-up about this water-walking sin, and it actually has nothing to do with walking on water. I've surfed my whole life, and I'm thinking to myself, how big could these waves on the lake actually be? I mean, why are these seasoned fishermen who spent their lives on this lake, why are they freaked out when they're out in a storm and what? The waves are what, a foot, a foot high or something like that? So finally, after years, I finally researched it. How big can the waves on this lake actually get? All right, I was shocked to find out 20 feet. Like the waves on the Sea of Galilee during a storm can get up to 20 feet. All right, well, now we're talking. That makes sense. So what's up with the water walking? Well, we're told actually in the book of Job in the Bible that God walks on the water. And so here we see Jesus walking on the water. Now, there's this overarching theme and this connection with Moses. So right before the water walking here in the storm, the feeding of the 5,000, Moses feeds a multitude of people in the wilderness, and now Jesus feeds a multitude of people in the wilderness. Now we get to the water walking scene, and then right after this, Jesus makes one of his most famous statements when he says, I am the bread of life, and all who eat this bread will never get hungry again. And we're like, what? What exactly does that mean that you're bread, and we consume you, and we'll never be hungry again? What exactly does that mean? How do I understand it? But wait a minute, it gets even more difficult, because right after that, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now listen, that just kind of freaks me out, everybody. I, I, what does that mean? I didn't really want to think about it. I'm a little squeamish about blood, so to... To say, eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'm actually, and that obviously an allusion to communion. I'm actually intentionally trying to not think about that. So what is Jesus saying? And from an ancient Jewish perspective, because we've got, remember, I've said this so much, and real, I'm going to have to say it again here today. The Bible was written to you, but it wasn't written for you. So to really understand what's going on here, we have to understand it from their perspective and their culture and in their context. And this is what we're going to again try to do today. What Jesus is talking about is what are you consuming? And if we consume Christ and we consume everything that's consistent with him, his teaching, his will, his way, who he is, that when we consume him, we can consume nothing else because when we consume him, he consumes us. That is the point of all of this. Jesus, God, God is love. I can't be consuming love and at the same time consuming hate. I can't be consuming forgiveness. Jesus is forgiveness. I mean, he's the epitome of forgiveness. He's hanging on the cross and he's forgiven people who have treated him with terrible injustice and who are, I mean, just brutalizing him. And he's like, Father, forgive them. Jesus, I can't forgive and at the same time have unforgiveness and bitterness. I can't do both. When we consume him, we're consuming all of his will, all of his ways, who he is. We're walking in him. We're saying, this is what I am convicted of that I need to consume in my life. When we consume him, he consumes us. This is what Christ is talking about. What are you consuming? One more thing I need to say about this, water. What does water represent from an ancient Jewish perspective? Water 
represents a powerful force at work in this world that brings chaos to us. It starts all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter one at creation. It says the waters of chaos and that God speaks and he brings order. And here we see that God is walking on the water. He's in control of the chaos, the powerful forces at work in this world that nobody can seem to control but God, but God is at work. What does that mean to you and me? That means that God can work in our lives and bring order and bring something beautiful like creation out of these powerful forces that are working against us. But what do we need to do? We need to pay attention to this most important habit of all. What is this habit? The habit is wrapped around this idea of what are you consuming? Proverbs 4.23, which is where I got the whole idea of this Jesus and consuming and then what Proverbs 4.23 says, why I call this the most important habit of all, because that's what the Bible says it is. So here's what Proverbs 4.23 says. It says we should guard our hearts. Guard your heart above all else. Like the most important thing you could possibly do here is guard your heart above all else, for it determines the very course of your life. So here's the point today, right? And here's the one feeling I have, control the content. So when Jesus says, you need to consume me, consume bread, and I am the bread of life, he's saying, you need to control the content that's flowing into your life. The book of Proverbs says, we are as we think we are. We are as we think we are. What content are you allowing to flow into your life? And is it consistent with who you truly are? Is it consistent because you've been created in the image of God? Is it consistent with the ways of Jesus Christ? Because if it's not consistent with Christ in his ways of love and justice and equality and forgiveness, all the wonderful things about Jesus Christ, with walking in purity, all of these wonderful things, then you are consuming content that's inconsistent with who you are And you need to stop the flow of that content. Proverbs 4, after it says, above all else, all right, control the content flowing into your heart because it's going to totally affect the rest of your life. When you allow content to flow into you, what you're doing is you're setting up an identity for yourself. You're seeing the world as you allow that content to get into your heart. Heart, in an ancient Jewish perspective, is your mind, your brain, and your emotions. So the content that we allow to flow to us and the things that we do affect our minds and they affect us, our emotions. And we have to be very careful. So right after 423, where it says, guard that above all else, it talks about what you consume with your eyes, what you consume with your ears, what you consume with your actions, who you're around and what you do. You have to control the content. Our minds pick up all those things that we do, and we must be very, very careful. We we talk so much about our physical bodies, and we want to put the right food in our bodies so that our bodies can be at peak performance. Now, athletes talk about this a lot. So if I'm trying to really get in shape or I'm trying to be an athlete at peak performance, I'm not going to have a steady diet of Krispy Kremes. Now, I love Krispy Kremes. I have a weakness for Krispy Kremes and I'll just like eat, eat, eat Krispy Kremes. But I got to tell you after, like after I eat some of them a couple you know, minutes or whatever, or hour later, I just feel terrible because I've poured content. I've consumed something in my body that my body doesn't need that much of. It doesn't need an over, what my body needs is fruit and vegetables. So think about this. What content are you pouring into your mind? Because your mind, your heart, 
Your emotions and your mind are more important than your physical body in Scripture. The Scriptures are clear about that. You're careful about what you're pouring into your physical body. Are you more concerned with what you're allowing to pour into your heart? This is my water bottle. It's my water bottle, everybody. I would not go down the Potomac River. I would never go down the Potomac River where there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of gallons of free water and fill my water bottle up with it and just drink. I would never do that because I wouldn't poison my body. And yet we just kind of give free reign to the content that we're pouring into our hearts and our hearts catch all of that stuff. I remember when I was a kid uh, that... Our parents, uh, my sister and I, our parents would yell, turn off the music. And they're like, you know, the lyrics, the lyrics are so terrible. And what would we say back? We would say back, we don't care about the lyrics. We, we don't, we're not listening to the lyrics. We just like the music. But that's not true because our brains are so sophisticated. They pick up all of that content the messaging that's coming to us. And it creates an identity because the content that's flowing into our hearts. Listen, recently I Google searched face mask. You know, we're all looking for face masks, right? So I Google searched that. And you know what immediately started happening? Pop-up ads all over the place for face masks. Every side I went into, pop-up ads, face mask, face mask. Like that was weeks ago. That was weeks ago that I Google searched face masks. But you know what? The pop-up ads are still happening. That's what happens. Your brain is far more sophisticated than Google. And even though you think, oh, the content's flowing, but it's not sticking with me, it's sticking with you. Because all of a sudden things start popping up, popping up, popping up in your mind. You have to control the content flowing to your mind, to your heart, and it needs to be consistent with Jesus Christ because that is what your soul truly, truly longs for. Now, experts will tell us this. You want to lower your anxiety like right now today? I mean, there's so much anxiety. We hear about anxiety all the time. And now we're in COVID. Anxiety is through the roof. You want to lower your anxiety right now today? The experts will tell you, here's what you do. You turn off the flow of content. Stop watching the news. You want to sleep better at night? Stop watching the news. Turn the screens off. Turn the news off. Don't allow that content to pour into you that just rubs you up. Because basically a news has a lot of bad news in it. And that bad news, our brain catches, according to the experts, our brain catches bad news and bad news sticks far more than good news. And then we try to go to sleep or we try to rest or we try to be at peace. We can't do it. Very simple. The slight adjustment to our life that leads to an impressive improvement. Do you really want to feel less anxious? Turn it off. How about this? So much of it, well, pretty much all of advertising is geared toward making you feel discontent. That you're not enough, that you need this product in order to be content. You've got to stop that flow. So much of social media. Look at this person. Look what they're doing. It makes us feel. So do you want to feel more content with your life? Do you want to feel more satisfied with your life? You've got to turn that flow off. You got to shut it down. This is what we have to do. Think about this. Think about the content that's flowing in the United States of America. During the first two weeks, everybody, of COVID, what was the number one content that was being consumed in the United States of America? Tiger King. Tiger King. And look, Joe Exotic, 
intriguing figure. But I just want to ask you, if you're consuming, and there are people who have watched the whole series more than once, they've consumed a lot of content. I just, I'm just making a suggestion, not coming down on the Tiger King, but I'm just saying, is that content that you want to pour, pour, pour into your heart? Is that healthy for you? Or is it like drinking a little bit of the Potomac River? Do you not want to do that? And I've talked to people who've watched the whole series and they're like, yeah, I found it really intriguing. But you know, when I was done, I was like, yuck, I don't feel good. Kind of like I drank a bunch of Potomac River water. Think about the content. The most important thing you can do is consume content that's consistent with the ways of Jesus Christ, consistent with his story, because his story is your story, because you've been created in his image. And that's why we should consume it. Not because I'm going to say to you, bad, bad, bad sinner for consuming that content, for doing that thing. No, 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 no. Total reversal of that, actually. The reason you want to control the content is because it's consistent with who you are. You've been created in his image. You haven't been created in the image of Adam and Eve. You've been created in the image of Jesus Christ. And when you consume content that's consistent with him, you come alive. I said this a few weeks ago. I think it bears repeating again right now. There are things that we do in this life and we can never get enough of them. I greed. How much is enough money when it's just a little bit more? right? Greed, lust, bitterness, whatever. I just got to keep having more because I'm not satisfied. You know those things I'm talking about. I just got to have a little bit more because even when I get, if I just get to this place of it, if I just have this, I'm going to feel so good. And then I'm not. Why does it leave me? Even though I have, 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 why does it leave me dissatisfied? Because you weren't created for that. Because that's not the image you were created. Because that's not your true identity. And yet when I do things that are in keeping with Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forgiveness, when I do things in keeping with that, why do I feel full and satisfied? Because Jesus says, when we consume the bread of life and he's the bread of life, we'll never get hungry again. That's why the content is so incredibly important. So when you're around certain conversations and they're not in keeping with the ways of Jesus Christ, maybe they just get a little bit off. Maybe there's some inappropriate things that are said or some prejudicial things that are said. We need to walk away from that. Either that we need to walk away or we need to correct it. But we can't take that content in. When we're looking at things on the screen, and it's not right. It's not consistent with the ways of Christ. It's not that you bad, bad, bad sinner. No, 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 no. You're not loving your own soul. You're not acting consistent with the person that you truly are. All the experts say this, before you adopt habits that will transform your life, you must have a new story. You must have a new identity. That's what Jesus has come to bring, you see? He's come to show us the story and the identity that we truly are, created in his image. He He shows us that. He puts it on full display in the Gospels. This is who I am. This is who you are, created in his image. Act accordingly. Total reversal from you, sinner. No, no, no. You're going to experience life at the fullest. And that's exactly what Jesus says in John 10. I've come so that you could experience life in all of its abundance. This is what is about. And to do that, you must, you absolutely must control the content that's flowing to you. When you have content flowing to you that's consistent with the will and the ways of Jesus Christ, you are going to come alive. You are loving your own soul, as the Bible says to us. You have a new story. We've been saying this again and again and again. The Gospel of John is a second Genesis, both Genesis, the first book of the Bible, 
And John began the same way. And the connections are constant over and over and over again. It's a new creation. What's being new? Because God creates this beautiful world, right? And he creates Adam and Eve in his image. And then the enemy comes along and sells them on a new identity and they buy into it. They buy that new identity that the enemy of our souls is selling. And now because of that new identity, they start acting in ways that are consistent with that new identity, which really isn't who they truly are. So Jesus Christ comes and says, no, 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 no. I want to get this clear. You've been created in my image, not in the image that the enemy was selling. This is who you truly are. And when you follow me, when you follow me in my ways, you are going to truly live. So you need to repent of believing that that is who you are. And instead, you need to believe this. And that's why you need to allow my content and things that are consistent with me to flow into you. Now, this is really important. Okay. And I know I'm going to say some, some, some new things during this series, but I just want you to think about this. All right. So in, in John, Jesus, right at his crucifixion, Pilate stands Jesus up before the crowd and he says these words. And I always thought they must mean something because they seem like, he says, behold the man. Why did Pilate do that? Why did John communicate that to us? That Pilate says, behold the man. Why? Because Adam, Adam is the man in Genesis. Here we go, created in the image of God, but change has an identity change because the enemy sells them on identity change. And so what John is communicating to us is here is who you really are. Things got really messed up. Things got really confused, but this is who you really are. Okay. After the resurrection, we see that Mary goes to the garden tomb on Easter morning and she sees Jesus, but she doesn't know it's Jesus. And she mistakes Jesus for who? The gardener. Well, who is the gardener in the book of Genesis? Adam is. But his identity got switched. He thought he was somebody else, Adam. And so who is now, what is John communicating to us? You have been created in the image of Jesus Christ. You are now. Right? Jesus is, is the new Adam, Romans says. And we're to be followers of him, of his way. Control content that is consistent with who you are because you've been created in the image of Jesus. It's why it's so incredibly important for us to understand that. Now, I want to read a quote from Craig Keener. Dr. Craig Keener is considered just an amazing New Testament scholar. And he wrote a book called The Mind of the Spirit. And I want to encourage you, The Mind of the Spirit by Craig Keener, chapter two especially, is awesome, all about this. And he talks about what is faith. Like When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what exactly are we doing when we put our faith in Jesus Christ? So I want to read the quote. This is what it says. Faith, he says, recognizes the, notice these words, the accurate divine perspective on reality and acts accordingly. What is that saying? Here's God's divine perspective. He sees you that you have been created in his image. Jesus is presented to us in John as God who's come to reveal to us who we truly are. And then he acts in the ways that we should be acting because Adam and Eve got sidetracked. He's come to correct this great wrong and this great misunderstanding. And he's calling us to repent of that way of thinking and to adopt 
This new identity that we have in Jesus Christ, this is His divine perspective on reality, and it's a conviction. So here's what the, here's what here's what Christ is calling us to. When we consume Him, when we take Him, notice they take Him into the boat, and immediately they reach their destination. We consume the bread of life, Jesus Christ, and immediately we no longer are hungry ever again. What is that saying? That when you fully have your conviction that this is who you truly are in Jesus Christ, that you're created in his image, not in Adam's image, and you act according to that conviction, to that divine perspective that you have put your faith fully in that, now you can experience life. This is what we're being called to. Repent of that way and believe in this way. This is your identity. This is who you are. Act according to that because that's God's. Are you convicted of that? Or you're like, yes, that is whose image I am created in. Your soul longs to reflect Jesus Christ. Your soul longs to consume content that's consistent with the ways of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to end with a story. It's really important. Uh, Dr. Mimi Silbert runs an organization called Delancey Street. Delancey Street has restaurants and moving companies and all kinds of businesses. And these businesses are run by drug addicts, alcoholics, and uh, people who've been in prison before. She works with this community, and this is what she says about this community in her own words. She says, these people are drug addicts, criminals, they're nasty, they're racist, they're violent, they're greedy, they're thieves, they're murderers. They're the kind of people who regularly, they get letters from their grandmother to Delancey Street saying, you gotta get back to the gang, the gang needs you. We're talking about a group of people who are deeply entrenched in a certain way of life, in a certain identity. Now, here's the thing. Delancey Street has a 90% success rate. Yes, that's right. And for those of you who know what recidivism rates are in the United States of America, that's blowing your minds right now. A 90% success rate. How in the world does she do it? Well, Silbert will tell you, you can't list this a long list of rules. You can't be given all these sermons all the time and saying, you boom, boom. You know, you can't do all this. You got to break it down to two things. Again, remember, Slight improvement, impressive, uh, slight adjustments, impressive improvements. Remember? And so the changes are small. There's only two things, but two really, really important things. You got to know what to do, and then you got to do it with all your heart. And she's changing their identities. So you want to know what those two things are? Number one, it's this. On the street where they were raised, right? Out with the gang, it's all about number one. I got to look out for number one. I got to look out for myself. And when you come into Delancey Street, the number one thing, that she pushes this content over and over again is your success is tied to other people's success. That when you come in, all of a sudden, I have a responsibility to make the person who is on my team with me successful. There's the first thing. The second thing is on the street, you never snitch. You never rat somebody out. But at Delancey Street, the second thing that you do is you confront everything that's a violation with the culture of Delancey Street. So you're just doing two things, and they seem to be really consistent with Jesus Christ. She's giving them a new identity. She's causing this flow of information that's consistent with this new identity that she wants to create, and it's awesome, and it's beautiful. And for 30 years, 16,000 people have come through this organization with a 90% success rate. It's just a slight adjustment and it leads to an impressive improvement. So I'm asking you to control the content. I'm asking you to think about the content that you're flowing into your hearts. Is it consistent with Jesus Christ? Because if you control the content that's coming in and it is consistent with Christ, you will have a fullness of life, 
like you've never experienced before. One last thing I just want to say. Conductors of orchestras. You've seen these conductors, you know, they're up there. Just I'm I'm very bad when it comes to music, but you've seen them. And I've won, I don't know if you've wondered, I've wondered myself, what is the purpose of the person there? I mean, don't the musicians really know? I mean, they're professionals. They know what to play. They're going to get it right anyway. And so I finally, one day, I said, I'm going to research this. What does a conductor do? What exactly is the purpose of them standing there? And here, you know what it is? The number one job of a conductor is to take the music from the composer that the composer has created, and they are, with their gestures and their actions, to communicate what it is that the conductor has envisioned for their musical piece so they can create a beautiful piece of music. So they make all these actions and so Jesus Christ comes and he acts and he speaks and he teaches in ways that are consistent with what the Father has created. Why do we need a figurehead? Because we need a conductor to look at and say, okay, I'm get things wrong. I get them wrong all the time. But I turn my eyes back to Jesus as the Bible says, I fix my eyes on Jesus because he gets it right and he gets it right all the time. And it helps me to understand how I can make my life beautiful and the lives around me beautiful, how I can maximize my life, how I can maximize other people's lives. And we together can create something that's beautiful in keeping with what God intended for. That's why we need a conductor. That's why it's beautiful. I want to ask you to consider this. On, on your screen, in the chat, everybody, in the chat, it says, I want to commit my life to Christ. Now, I don't, I don't want you to push anything. I don't want to push anything. Just say, I just want to, I want to explain something. You can push the button that says, yeah, I want to raise my hand because I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. What you're doing when you do that is you're saying, I am now fully convinced and convicted that I have been created in the image of Jesus Christ, not in the image of Adam. I have a new identity in him, and I'm going to live in ways that are consistent with that, according to his divine perspective. I'm going to repent. I'm going to repent of another identity and living in ways that are inconsistent with Jesus Christ. And now I am going to live in a way that's consistent with me actually loving my own soul by filling myself up on content and believing in God's divine perspective of me. Now, now, if you've never done that before, if you've never actually understood it that way, I want to ask you to consider clicking that button that says, raise my hand. There's another button that comes up, and here's why this is really important. The other button is to connect with us. And if you click that connect with us button, here's the reason, the whole reason why I want you to consider doing that. If you are now for the first time placing your faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to take you to a form. And the basic of the form says three things. Number one, we're thrilled for you. Number two, we're praying for you. And number three, I really want to get this resource to you. This is a fantastic book. I had my guys group, my community group, read this book. And the guys in my group, we read it about a year ago, right? It's a John Orkberg book. My guys said, why didn't you have us read this before? This is awesome. This is an awesome resource. And it's just a great way for you who are Placing your faith in Jesus Christ right now. This is a great way to begin. And I would love to mail one of these out to you because it is so good. Now, we want to end today with communion. And again, we want to think about what we're consuming. So I'm asking my family if they would join me here and we're going to have communion together. I, I hope that you have some bread and some juice and that you, you can do the same. But we want to together celebrate 
this awesome moment of communion. So if you'll make sure that you have some bread and some juice and my, here's my family now. Here they are. We're going to celebrate communion together. And uh, Jonathan's, uh, Jonathan's there running the camera for us. He's coming now too. So we're told in scripture that Jesus Christ took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And he took a cup and he said, this is my blood that's poured out for you. It's God's very life. When we consume this, we are, this is a serious moment. We're thinking deeply about what Christ has done for us. We're thinking deeply about his love for us. This is what we're doing. And we're also thinking about, I am repenting of all those ways that are inconsistent with him. And I'm consuming Christ so that he would consume me. So I'd like to pray over the bread and the cup and that all of us will eat and drink together. Jesus, thank you for your amazing, magnificent love. Thank you that you have come and you, like a great conductor, have shown us how to live, how we can live in this beautiful world that the Father has created. Thank you that you loved us so much, that you gave your very life. You allowed your body to be broken. You allowed your blood to be spilled because nothing would stop you from loving us. Thank you. Bless the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup in this house and in houses all around the world as we celebrate communion together and place our faith in you. In Jesus' name, amen. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. The body of Christ. Okay, let's eat and drink together. Thanks, family, for joining me very much. I'd like to conclude in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, um, for all of us today, help us all of this week to remember that the most important thing we can do is to control the content that's flowing into our heart. Help us to be diligent and to guard what's flowing into our hearts, that it would only be what is consistent with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in whose image we are created in, in Christ's name. Amen. God bless.